Hello and welcome to another episode of Everything's 5x4. I'm your host, Steve. This is episode 29, the 2021 Book Spectacular. So I'm continuing my series of best of 2021 episodes with full episodes on each of the five topics that I usually speak on for four minutes a piece each episode. So we've got baseball, beer, books, soccer, and TV. Uh, the episode today is going to be books. Um, so uh, I've been a bad librarian in that over the last two years, I've really only been reading a couple books a month. Uh, but this year, surprisingly, a high percentage of the books I read were actually published in 2021, so that's an improvement. But several on this list also were not, so it's just a list of the favorites I've read and uh, my favorites I read in 2021. So I'm dividing it into the categories of picture books, middle grade and young adult fiction, just general adult books, and honorable mentions of any category. And uh, without further ado, let's go. Okay, so I'm going to get started with four minutes on picture books here. So uh, interestingly enough, the three picture books I, I picked as my favorites for the year were actually all published in 2021. It's going to actually be the only category that is like that. Um, so, yeah. Um, the first one I picked out, the first two I picked out are going to be more serious subject matter. Um, so the first one is The Big Bad Wolf in My House by Valerie Fontaine, illustrated by Natalie Dion. Uh, so this book focuses on what happens when the narrator's mother's boyfriend, aka the wolf, moves into their house. Uh, so it's it's a really serious subject matter, but also a child-friendly message related to domestic violence, especially um, when it's emotional and verbal abuse and manipulation. Um, so yeah, um, an important message and really put out there in a way that, uh, you know, hopefully it's more of a window rather than a mirror for children. Some people mentioned that in reviews that you don't necessarily want to give that book to a kid experiencing it because you know it might bring up that trauma um, but for other kids it's kind of a reminder that hey this this happens um, anyway uh, not not getting any sunnier on the next one um, unspeakable the Tulsa race massacre by Carol Boston Weatherford illustrated by Floyd Cooper so the groundswell of support for the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020 meant that a lot of horrific events in American history uh, were brought to light, light, or at least were ignored less than they had been. Uh, one of those was the 20, 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre in the Greenwood neighborhood of Tulsa, a.k.a. Um, also known as Black Wall Street. So... The release of the book in early 2021 was important because it was the, the centennial um, memorial to those events. But what was interesting about this book is that it focused, of course, not just on the racist violence, but also why Greenwood mattered and kind of about the bigger picture issue of essentially... Um, white supremacy trying to bring down um, 
black success, um, especially in that time period. It's designed more for upper elementary students, um, it, but it does include an author's note from Floyd Cooper about his grandfather's experiences in Tulsa. Now, I wouldn't, um, I shouldn't talk about this without mentioning that Floyd Cooper unfortunately passed away in 2021. I believe this was the last book that he published in his lifetime as an illustrator. Um, it was a Caldecott honor book and won both the Crescott King author and illustrator um, awards. Um, and Floyd Cooper was uh, like his grandfather who lived in Greenwood. Um, Floyd Cooper didn't live in Greenwood, but he was born and raised in Tulsa. So it was an important story for him to tell. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go a little less serious now. Um, Princess Dinosaur by Daniel Kibblesmith, illustrated by Ashley Quach. Quach. Um, Q-U-A-C-H. Uh, my apologies for my pronunciation there. Um, so it's a really fun and silly romp about Princess Dinosaur and how even though she was a, she's a princess, she doesn't always conform to the expectations of a princess. So you can talk about gender expression um, and just kids being kids. And uh, whether it's Twitter or writing for late night shows or writing children's books, Daniel Kibblesmith is always hilarious and entertaining. And this is no exception to that. So those were my favorite picture books from that I read in 2021. So two of my favorite middle grade and YA books were published in 2020 rather than 2021. So I'm moving a little further um, away from 2021, but still uh, still in that general vicinity. Anyway, um, so I'll talk about the one from 2021 first. That was Blackout, which was an anthology featuring short stories from Danielle Clayton, Tiffany Jackson, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, Ashley Woodfolk, and Nicola Yoon. Uh, so that's pretty much our murderer's row of black women, young adult authors. And it's a romance anthology, so not generally something that I'm reading but I do like a number of those authors, so I rolled with it. Uh, so it's basically set against the backdrop of a massive blackout, a fictional massive blackout in New York City, and characters across the city coping with it. So Tiffany Jackson takes the center stage here. Um, I'm going to get into her in just a minute, because of course one of her books was also one of my favorites of 2021, that I read in 2021. But her story of two exes forced to walk from Manhattan to Brooklyn together due to various circumstances is in multiple parts. I would say the most interesting story, I think, is actually Nick Stone's. It's a story of repeated misconnections between two teenage boy classmates who are sort of in different stages of understanding their sexual orientations. Uh, there's a lot going on with all the stories, though. And in the end, most of, uh, spoiler alert, most of the characters unite at a party in Brooklyn. So it's one of those ensemble casts that kind of all comes together. But it hooks you in, and it focuses more on Black love and joy than anything else. And I think those are the kinds of stories that are also important, needed, and important to tell. All right, so next, uh, Grown by Tiffany Jackson came out in late 2020. Uh, it's the story of Enchanted Jones, um, who is an aspiring singer and swimmer. 
and Corey Fields, who is essentially a stand-in for R. Kelly. Um, but it's a lot more than just something that is a rip from headlines problem novel or anything like that. Um, it's a lot about power, uh, control, emotional abuse, and it is, uh, it's difficult to read at times, um, comes with a lot of trigger and content warnings. It's a really grim and dark story told by a potentially unreliable narrator, uh, with, um, mixed up out of order timeline. In other words, it's all the stuff that Tiffany Jackson does well. Uh, it's an important book, a very well-written book, uh, one that definitely will leave you shook uh, because it's a difficult read, but an important one. Uh, so, again, moving on from the heavy to the not as heavy, uh, Sal and Gabby Fix the Universe by Carlos Hernandez. This was a sequel to Sal and Gabby Break the Universe, uh, and it's part of... Uh, the Rick Reardon presents imprint where he gives opportunities to um, authors who are um, underrepresented in publishing. Uh, so this was a good sequel. It was like the first book in the series, just pure sci-fi fun with a heavy heaping of Miami life and Latin culture. Uh, there's some even weirder sentient artificial intelligence here, like a talking toilet. There's even more eccentric students and teachers and events going on at the Arts Academy that Sal and Gabby attend. And once again, the fate of the entire universe is at stake. Um, it doesn't end on a cliffhanger, but a third book would definitely still be welcome. And it's a fun light read worth checking out. So I'll fully admit that most of the quote-unquote adult books I read are actually nonfiction. Um, and so it's no surprise on, um, that, that makes up the list. Uh, two of the three were, um, published in 2021. And the third is a forgotten classic that I never got around to reading. So, um, let's get started with it. The first, uh, was the Anthro the Anthropocene reviewed by John Green. And it's a book of essays that, stems from the backdrop of not only the COVID pandemic, um, but John Green having serious struggles with a vertigo-like illness that left him unable to read or write for a few months. So he had a lot of time to think about a lot of things. And these essays are think pieces. And they kind of seem a little random. Um, he's kind of basing it on the idea that everything gets reviewed now, whether it's uh, you know on Yelp, or reviews we're giving to Lyft and Uber drivers, etc. So he's reviewing different things of life. So he brings up Mario Kart, the city of Indianapolis, air conditioning, uh, Jersey Dudek's performance in the 2005 UEFA Champions League final, um, the Liverpool goalkeeper. Uh, but there's a lot of serious and thoughtfulness uh and it all links together in the end in a way that is kind of surprising um and even something like mario kart he points out how um there's there's more equity in mario kart than there is in life because if you're towards the bomb in mario kart you're more likely to get the blue shell or get lightning um you know, and it's it's something that's kind of a simple thought, but I think is expanded on pretty well. And again, there's a lot of thoughtfulness here. Um, 
on a lot of different issues. So definitely entertaining read, something you can jump around and read bits and pieces of. Um, next is the Forgotten Classic. That was I Was Ray in Time by Buck O'Neill with Steve Wolf and David Conrads. Uh, this is something I should have read, read a long time ago. There's no one who really kept the legacy of Negro League Baseball alive better than Buck O'Neill. Um, he played in the Negro Leagues because, of course, due to segregation, he wasn't able to play Major League Baseball. But he later became a coach and scout in Major League Baseball. And then in his adopted hometown of Kansas City, he was born and raised in Sarasota, but played his career with the Monarchs in Kansas City. He helped found and promote the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And he was always um, in audio and video interviews, always an engaging conversational person. And it really comes across that way on the page. Um, just a really fun read for anyone who likes baseball or is interested in black history. Uh, he did get elected. He did get elected to the baseball hall of fame posthumously in December. So it's really sad that he didn't live to see that, but glad he's finally getting his due. Uh, last but not least, uh, someone else who, uh, sort of belatedly got their due is, um, was singled out the true story of Glenn Burke by Andrew Marinus. Andrew Marinus's dad is actually a famous biographer as well. This book was ostensibly written for a young adult audience, but I think it's kind of the opposite of what the Alex Awards are, which are given to adult books that picked up a YA audience. I think this one goes the other way around because it has a lot of serious adult issues, but it's, it's very easy to read and well-researched, uh, did a ton of interviews with everyone who knew Glenn Burke. Glenn Burke was the first openly gay Major League Baseball player. He wasn't openly gay to the public because his team's kept under wraps. But his teammates, friends, family, and coaches knew, for better or worse, uh, he played college basketball, played in the World Series of the Dodgers, invented the high five with Dusty Baker, um, but never got the opportunity to recover from his early struggles because it was the late 70s and early 80s, and he was unapologetically black and unapologetically gay which was kind of two strikes against him in a lot of the baseball world at that time uh, and still is to a degree. Uh, he had a mixed post-baseball life, ended in tragedy with drug addiction, dying of AIDS at only age 42. Um, but you see all the good and bad of, of Glenn Burke here and how he eventually couldn't overcome some of his flaws, but how important he was. And that was almost five minutes, but you know, I think important subject matter. Okay, last but not least, uh, I didn't even really bother to write much of a script uh, for the honorable mentions, so we'll just roll with it and see what happens. Always fun, right? Um, I mean, I always go ad lib quite a bit, but, you know, I don't even have an outline for this part. So the books I've chosen as honorable mentions, um, I'll start with Allegedly by Tiffany Jackson. Uh, so that was actually her debut. Um, again, kind of has the hallmarks of her work that I mentioned when I was talking about Grown. Um, unlike her future work, you had a narrator really suffering under the weight of having pretty much no positive presence in their life or very little. Uh, there's a little bit there, but much less than some of her other characters. Um, and there was a pretty unexpected ending. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. No spoilers. Um, The Stand by Stephen King. Uh, so this is an old classic, but also kind of problematic. Um, I listened to the book. It took months to do so because it's 900 pages. <laughs> um, 
it's a good story, but I think it's something that's improved upon by the recent miniseries on uh, Paramount Plus. Um, you know, it definitely updated it, and the story really needed some updating. There's definitely um, some stereotypes, negative stereotypes, some other stuff that pops up in there. Um, you know, some of the characters are well-written and sketched out. There's other stuff that's pretty cringeworthy. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, last but not least, Reborn in the USA by Roger Bennett. I actually read this book and listened to it because Roger Bennett is a podcaster. He's half of Men in Blazers um, from England, talks about soccer there and in the U.S., uh, provides plenty of humor with it. This book was a bit more serious. It was about him growing up in Liverpool and his love affair with the U.S. and the process of, you know, how he decided to move to the U.S. and sort of got obsessed with 80s pop culture. I actually really enjoyed it, but one thing on both reading and listening to it that frustrated me a bit is he doesn't wrestle as much of with the downside of the U.S. in the 80s. He talks about how grim Liverpool was, but in reality, there was a lot of grimness and issues in the 1980s in the U.S. Um, and I also kind of understand that, though, because as someone who was in my early 20s obsessed with England, I wasn't as much seeing the downside and all the issues there. So maybe it's forgivable for him in his teens not quite having an understanding of that social political dynamic. Uh, he also doesn't, when he's talking about the U.S. and the epilogue and how becoming a U.S. citizen a few years ago, um, I really do think he kind of, he references the privilege, but I think he skips over some of the darkness um, in talking about uh, how he perceives the greatness of the U.S. Still, um, I think it's a good book. I think it's just, it's interesting, um, an interesting memoir of growing up in that time period in England and sort of seeing the U.S. as this beacon uh, to the world um, when it, that doesn't necessarily match the reality. And that's it for my honorable mentions. This is me just realizing that this episode was extra short because I forgot to have a fifth category of four minutes apiece. So this episode is more like everything's four by four. So, you know, I'm super professional. Um, I'm not going to go back and add something now. So uh, I guess consider it a bonus. This, this episode is uh, short, shorter than usual. One thing I should have mentioned about... Um, Reborn in the USA is Chicago and the suburbs do play kind of a heavy role in it, um, in his love of the US. So um, I appreciated that aspect of it for sure as well. Um, anyway, uh, this is the outro. So one thing that I do want to note other than my usual outro, my first episode of this podcast was released on February 5th, 2021. So I just passed a year of doing the podcast. However, um, I've decided after five more episodes, I'm going to call it quits. Um, you know, I've been I've been pumping out fewer and fewer episodes, so it's partly a time issue, partly just you know finding it difficult to put all this together. 
And I'm also producing it on a platform owned by Spotify, which is an iffy proposition these days. Um, and let's be honest, I'm rarely cracking double-digit plays per episode, so there's not a whole lot of people who are going to miss it a whole lot. However, <laughs> if you were entertained by this episode and just want to say hi and uh, appreciate it, my email address is everythings 5 by 4 at gmail.com. That's everythings, no apostrophe, 5x4 at gmail.com. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, that's about it. Uh, So as always, keep everything five by four. Thanks. Bye.